The Eagle and Child, episode 33. Mere Christianity, book four, chapter five. The Obstinate Toy Soldiers. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer and discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and today's chapter is probably my favourite chapter title in this book, The Obstinate Soldiers. And today I'm joined by the Sergeant Major, Matt. If you're calling me a Sergeant Major, which is a very high ranking in the Marines, does that mean you think I'm doing quite well with the natural life? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's definitely definitely not because the Sergeant Major is usually a comic figure in most movies. <laughs> The irony of this is this makes sense that I would never get that because I don't ever see movies. Well, see, it's funny you actually say that because I had a message just before we started recording from Giovanna, the lady who sent us that email. And she just sent me a message saying, why has Matt seen no movies? Did she really? Mm Mm-hmm. I explained it was just one of your many moral failings. Do you want like the true answer? Really, it's because growing up I was an incredible nerd And even to this day, I feel guilty when I watch TV because I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like I could be reading a book. I could be doing work. I could be exercising. I could be outside. And I just really feel depressed if I watch TV. Because Matt is a huge nerd. I really should have got that one, shouldn't I? (laughs) I, Okay, you're a huge nerd too. (laughs) True. We nerd out every week on this. Scotch is the only thing that makes us seem semi-manly. Speak for yourself. Well, you do have the accent going for you, which helps. I also have ample body hair. <laughs> I, can't, I can't grow a beard if I tried. It's very unfortunate, actually. Speaking of the listeners, we actually had some comments from Katie. She had a, some comments about our last episode. So I thought we'd address a couple of things that she mentions here, rather than waiting for a mailbag episode. She had some questions about my sports game analogy. If you recall, when we were talking about free will and God knowing the future, I gave a sports game analogy, but I clearly didn't communicate it properly, so I'm going to have another go. Imagine I've seen a sports game live, and then go round to some friends, and they're watching a recording of that game that they haven't seen. I know everything that's going to happen, but still, each of the players still has or had free will when they were playing that game. That That was what I was trying to communicate there. She also communicated the same sort of idea by talking about the song Go Fish. And she says it's how God can see the whole parade, whereas we can only see what's going on right in front of us right now. And I thought that kind of linked in with Lewis's example of a time being a line that we're traveling along and God can see the whole page. I love that the listeners, I feel like we're getting more comments than we have before. They're picking up, which gets me excited. I like people getting engaged. And, and we received a comment actually from an individual that we addressed their comment in the mailbag episode. And he commented again, which makes me very happy that he's still listening, <laughs> even though he disagrees with some stuff we're saying. So that's really good. Hi, Greg. <laughs> Hi, Greg. <laughs> but coming back to today's chapter, it's very related to last week's chapter, where we offered the answer to human happiness, honestly, by participating in the divine Trinitarian dance. 
that dance between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the closer we get to that, the closer we can participate in that divine life and experience that joy and contentment. And it'll slowly transform us in the same way that you become the average of the five people you spend the most of your time around. The closer you are to Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the more you'll be transformed and formed with them in you. So what's the quote of the week? Since this week... We're talking about how we're obstinate toy soldiers resisting this transformation into divine life, into God's will. I thought I'd read a quote from one of our favorite books, The Great Divorce. Lewis says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. And honestly, That quote summarizes the whole book. Like if you asked me to put it in one sentence, it would be that quote. Excellent. And what are we drinking? Well, this week we're drinking 2,500 miles away from each other. Laphroaig 10-year aged single malt scotch. And if you can hear that strange noise on the line, it's because Matt has committed sacrilege of all sacrilege and has added ice to his Laphroaig. (laughs) That's because I'm very much used to single malt uh, Macallan, which is not very smoky. This is honestly, would you say you have a little bit more of a scotch palate than me? This is one of the smokiest scotches I've ever had. Yep, absolutely. But I'm learning to like it, just cutting it. Well, it's a good thing you're in New York, otherwise I'd have to take away your man card. <laughs> All right, and since we're virtually, we'll say chink on three. One, two, three, chink. Chink? What's Chink. Isn't that the sound that they do in uh, comic books when people cheers, when <laughs> when the glasses chink together? I've never read a comic book in my life, David. Okay, what noise what do you think we should say? I thought we would just say cheers and not actually cheers. It's fine. I was just trying to make it fun. A chink. <laughs> All right, cheers. Cheers. Ah. Uh, nothing like diluted, half-watered-down Laphroaig 10-year-age scotch. See, this is why you can't grow a beard. If you keep watering down your scotch, that's what happens. You tell me that's all I've needed to do this whole time? Yep. Although it does mean I don't have to shave as much as most people, which sounds like a nightmare. It's kind of irritating, yeah. Anyway. Back to Lewis. Let's, 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 let's get back into book four. No one cares about my beard. <laughs> or lack thereof. Yeah. In the first chapter of book four, Lewis told us that the world is a great sculptor's shop. We're all statues, and there's a rumor going around that some of us are someday going to come to life. Well, in this chapter that we're reading today, Lewis resurrects that image. Very funny, David. Oh, well, thank you. He starts, if man hadn't rebelled against God, we might have naturally been drawn up into the divine life. If you recall from previous chapters, he talks about bios, which is our natural life, and zoe, which is the supernatural life, which comes from God. And he says that if man hadn't rebelled against God, it might have been that bios would have naturally been drawn up into zoe. But he doesn't spend too much time on that because, well, we did rebel. So instead, he describes the situation in which we find ourselves. And this section is a little long, but I think it's well worth quoting in its entirety. Lewis says... The two kinds of life are now not only different, they would have always been that, but actually opposed. 
The natural life in each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, to take advantage of other lives, to exploit the whole universe. And especially, it wants to be left to itself, to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it, anything that might make it feel small. It is afraid of the light and air of the spiritual world, just as people who have been brought up to be dirty are afraid of a bath. And in a sense, it is quite right. It knows that if the spiritual life gets a hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed, and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. This is all over the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, it does sound very familiar. Uh, St. Paul talks about this in terms of spirit and flesh, uh, of the battle that goes on in the human heart. He talks about the, the dying to the body of sin, the dying to your flesh, being reborn in the spirit, uh, dying to your old self, being reborn in your new self. I mean, this is probably the main theme in Paul's writing. And you don't even have to get super spiritual about it. Take anything that is good for us that is hard, going to the gym, eating well. There is a part of us that wants to rebel against that. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or if we talked about it in our book club. I think we talked about the book club and it's actually an upcoming podcast of Is Christianity Easy or Hard? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's later in this book. Yeah, that idea that you used eating healthy. If you've been eating really unhealthy, the first couple months are rough. But when you actually get past that, so you're fighting it, there's this part of you that wants junk food, it wants sugar, it wants, I mean, it's such a dopamine hit. But once you get past that, you're almost, you die to that craving and you start actually enjoying healthy foods and it can become self-reinforcing. It's somewhat, I would imagine, the same thing with the natural life and the spiritual life. Yeah, Lewis has spoken about this before, the idea of both virtue and vice, they're cumulative, they, they have compound interest. So when you start doing good things, it begets other good things. Likewise, if you start doing bad things, that tends to snowball. I always tell people when they're starting to run, they say, running sucks. I can't do it. And I love running. The first couple months is rough and you have to know that and you have to get past that. But there become a point where your body is so used to running, then you'll go a week without running and you'll feel awful. You'll hate it. Because you'll, there's just something in you that will just feel heavy and down without running. And so it's probably something similar to that. I'm encouraging people to go run. <laughs> but anyways, coming back to this. This being drawn up into this divine life, Lewis uses an analogy of a tin soldier coming to life. So imagine this tin soldier actually turning into a real man. As it involves turning this tin to a flesh, the soldier is going to, this is going to be foreign. This is going to feel different. He's going to be resisting it. He's going to be fighting it. He's almost going to not want this to actually happen. And that's the same for us as we're going from the natural life to the divine life. It's very foreign and that's scary. And so we want to resist that. It's almost the opposite problem that Buzz Lightyear has in the movie Toy Story. Woody keeps trying to convince him, you are a toy, but Buzz knows he is so much more. I don't remember that. You've actually seen it? I have. But you've totally forgotten it. Yeah. Giovanna, I'm sorry. This is what I have to work with. <laughs> I, I really appreciate your grace with me, David. <laughs> You're a very merciful, merciful podcast partner. Well, one of the spiritual works of mercy is instructing the ignorant. So you're welcome. No, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm growing you in virtue. So how does Jesus fit into this? How does the incarnation fit into this process? 
Well, Lewis says that the second person of the Trinity became man. He even doubles down on that. He says, even before he was a man, he was a fetus inside a woman's body. And he says, if we want to have some idea of what that is like, imagine yourself becoming a slug or a crab. The, the humbling nature of being something so much greater and being compressed into something so simple and, and lowly. In the epistle to the Philippians, Paul has this, it's called the Carmen Christi, the hymn of Christ, where he talks about Christ's humility in becoming man, becoming a servant, going to death, even death on a cross. And the other week when we were talking about the Trinity and the Trinity being a community of love, I mentioned Islam because I find Islam is a very good counterpoint when we're looking at aspects of Christianity to try and resensitize ourselves a little bit. So when it comes to the incarnation, if you ever speak to a Muslim, they will find this horrifying, shocking. If you've been brought up a Christian, you're used to saying, God became man. It just trips off your tongue. It's really easy. But I think Muslims really comprehend the breathtaking nature of that claim. And so Lewis says that the son became a little fetus, a man. And when all of this happened, humanity had, at least in this particular instance, passed into the life of Christ. Lewis says the result of the incarnation was that you now had one man who was what all men were intended to be. One man in whom the created life, derived from his mother, allowed itself to be completely and perfectly turned into begotten life. The natural human creature in him was taken up fully into the divine son. In the New Testament, over and over and over, Paul talks about dying to your old self, dying to the natural life to be reborn into the divine life, this new life, this new self. Jesus was the perfect example of this, as you said. He completely died, every part of him, not just physically. I mean, obviously he died on the cross, suffering, execution. But he died to his ego. He died to every part of him. He lived in poverty. He had his one of his apostles reject him. He was spit on. He was slandered. He had people turn away from him. I mean, he, had, he died in every sense of the word. He had no ego. He had nothing to hang an ego on, to be quite frank. And then obviously went to the point of death on the cross. So he was the perfect example of that ultimate dying to yourself to the point of death. And then what happened? He was resurrected. And Lewis says, the man in Christ rose again, not only the God. And Lewis goes on to say, for the first time we saw a real man, one tin soldier Real tin, just like the rest, had come fully and splendidly alive. That line there, the man in Christ rose again, not only the God. I, I think that's one of the most powerful statements that Lewis writes in this book. But you, you see the completion of God's plan. That it begins with the incarnation, uh, an, an invasion, so to speak, but a, a sneaky invasion. It was God coming to earth, not in power and majesty, but as a little zygote. And already humanity is starting to be drawn up into the life of God because we have one man the way that man was meant to be. But in the resurrection, you see a culmination of that. Not just his divinity raised, but his humanity, and therefore ours can be as well. For the first time, we saw a real 
man. I just love that. I love how he says that. Real man. But this then begs the question, what good is it if we now have Christ, who is this living toy soldier? What, what's the, what, what does that really gain us? Just the fact that there is one man as man was always meant to have been. Because it doesn't make any difference to the rest of us. We haven't come alive, so to speak, because we are separate and distinct. Or have we? Because as Lewis points out, even though it might appear that we're separate individuals, David, you're you, I'm me. In fact, human beings are really not separate at all. When we go back to our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and if you go back, obviously we're only looking a few generations, but go back centuries and centuries, we are all connected throughout time. And, and this makes me think of the movie The Butterfly Effect, which I have actually seen, David. <laughs> You'd be proud. I am very proud. It's a rather good movie. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's about a man who can travel back in time to certain points in history, and over the course of the movie, he does that. But each time he travels back, he makes one small change, and that has a ripple effect throughout time, sometimes putting him in a very different future when he returns. You see the connected nature of life. We also have to point out, not only are we connected to each other in the same way that you see that ripple effect with a butterfly effect, you know, one thing that we do affects someone else, but we're connected to God. Lewis says, every man, woman, and child all over the world is feeling and breathing at this moment only because God, so to speak, is keeping him going. So apparently no man is in fact an island. Who was that? Bonhoeff? No. <laughs> no, I know this. This isn't going to be another David Copperfield moment. <laughs> no man is an island. Dang, it's not coming to me. John Dunn. No, I was never going to get that. <laughs> that doesn't even sound familiar. He's a poet and author. So, since we are deeply connected, not only to each other, but also to God, the consequence is that if one toy soldier comes to life, it will begin to affect the others. Lewis says that from that point, the effect spreads throughout all mankind. It makes a difference to those who lived before Christ, as well as those who lived after him. It makes a difference to people who have never heard of him. And here he gives a beautiful analogy. He says, it's like dropping into a glass of water one drop of something which gives a new taste or a new color to the whole lot. And it puts me in mind of the water and wine that we see at Holy Communion. And Lewis was an Anglican, so he would have seen this. Just before the Eucharist is celebrated, some water is dropped into a chalice full of wine. And the priest says something to the effect of, by the mingling of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ. We are the water, he is the wine. And as we're poured into Christ, we take on something of his nature. Ooh, I like that a lot. I never thought of that. Every mess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start paying attention to that going forward now. So Christ has done the saving. That's, that's the point of him coming down and dying on the cross. Becoming a living tin soldier. Exactly. Becoming a living tin soldier. So Christ has done the saving. In fact, humanity is already, quote unquote, saved in principle. But we as individuals have to appropriate that salvation. The tough work's been done. It's been done for us, but we have to say yes to it. We have to open ourselves up to it. We're not earning salvation. Lewis says, we have not got to try to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down into the human race. But what does that mean? Lewis says it best. 
if we will only lay ourselves open to the one man in whom it was fully present, in who, in spite of being God, is also a real man. He will do it in us and for us. If we get close to him, we shall catch that good infection from him. So this is pointing back to the previous chapters where we spoke about the good infection, getting, getting close to the source of that life, that immortality. I'm reading a book right now by Henry Nowen called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Love that book so much. Isn't it so, oh, it's so good. I read it in probably about four or five years ago, and it's one that you should reread every year. And he talks about so much our returning, our, our, our participating in the divine sonship, actually everything we're talking about. He talks about how the noise and the voices of the world pull us away from knowing that we are sons of God, we are his beloved, and then this journey back. But then he asks this question, how do we journey back? What does that look like? And he's, he said two things. He goes, the first is trust. Trust Jesus. Trust that he is working in you. Essentially, I would argue another word for that is surrender. If you trust something, you surrender to it. And so you're surrendering to Jesus and trusting that he is working in you. It's not some five-step plan of David Bates, you need to do X, Y, Z, and then you're going to be able to get, you're going to be able to participate in, in the divine life. And then the second thing he says is gratitude. Be grateful every single day for the way that Jesus is working in your life. Be grateful for the gifts. And you will slowly start seeing yourself coming back to God in Jesus, in that divine life. So trust in gratitude. Nothing, David, I left you speechless. That's a beautiful book. I want to reread it now. (laughs) (laughs) And then Lewis wraps up the chapter by saying that different Christians will talk about how all of this happens in different ways. Some people will say Christ died for our sins. Some will say that Christ did what we ought to have done. Some will talk about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Some will talk about Christ defeating death. And Lewis really repeats what he said when we were looking at the atonement. He says, if something doesn't appeal to you, if a particular way of expressing that doesn't appeal to you, leave it alone and get on with the formula that does. But don't waste your time arguing with other people who like to use a different formula other than yours. Well, I'm still doing an iTunes review per episode, and today I'm looking at reading with joy. Here it is. I heard Joy Clarkson's podcast mentioned in an online C.S. Lewis group. I went over to her podcast and, to my great excitement, found that she was just finishing up a series of episodes on my favorite C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce. Naturally, I immediately binged all those episodes within 24 hours. Joy's thoughtful commentary is a delight to listen to, and you would do well to subscribe. And if any listeners would like to know more, you can also find her at joyclarkson.com. I love how you are always reviewing either Lewis podcasts or Christian podcasts. If I ever do this, I mean, I, I, the podcast I just listened to most recently was called The Ferris Show, which was on these. Oh, Tim, Tim Ferris? Yeah, Tim Ferris. It was, it was on uh, Richard Branson, Ray Dalio, and a few incredibly successful billionaires. I got my Christian side and my shallow side. <laughs> it's not shallow. I listened to his episode on how to say no gracefully. Oh, don't ever use that on me. No, I will not. Oh, very funny. <laughs>
Is this a good time that we forgot to mention that since the last time we recorded an episode, I met a gentleman who is a huge Narnia fan, and when he built his house, he actually built a Narnia room. <laughs> I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It's in its life goals. It's I know, right? It's genuinely behind a wardrobe that if you never knew about it, you would never stumble. You would most likely not stumble across it. He lives a couple hours from my hometown, and so I fully plan on going there and seeing this someday. Yes, if the future Mrs. Bates is listening to this, I want that in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Just something you've got to be okay with. Excellent. Well, I will see you, Matt, in a week on Skype uh, when we will be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Let's not make that a thing. (laughs) 